Yo, what up? This is D-Knight, and you're listening to the Pardon the Interaction Podcast. Holy hell, what a week. It's been absolute, non-stop, utter insanity every single day from the beginning of the week until the end, from the House of Representatives to the Middle East and beyond. So we've got a pocket pardon edition of the podcast for you today. But before we get to all of that, let us take a second to give a shout out to our sponsors, Sheets and Giggles. They've got the dopest sheets on planet Earth. So if you're a stickler for being super comfortable every single night, make sure you pick up a set from SheetsandGiggles.com. Of course, we have some links in the show notes, provides you a little discount. So go ahead and check that out. Okay. And for the news this week, it's really difficult to even figure out where to start, but I guess we'll start with the House of Representatives. It appears as though after lots of finagling and hand-wringing, Jim Jordan has finally decided to give up his quest to become Speaker of the House after a third and final vote today on Friday which is probably a good fucking idea because he would have been a total disaster. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess depending on how you look at it. In the long run, maybe it would have actually been a good thing for Democrats uh, in just in order to have the most irresponsible and absurd individual run in the House of Representatives, um, you know, leading up to an election year. Probably would have, I don't know, painted Republicans in a bad light. Not that they need much extra help doing that, I suppose. But yes, um, after having a number of his goons and henchmen call up the family members of other members of Congress, sending them threats in order to force them to vote in favor of Jim Jordan for speaker, as well as having Fox News host Sean Hannity personally (laughs) try to extort other members of Congress and supporting Jim like that bid has failed. Surprise, surprise. You know, of course, telling people that you're going to hold them hostage if they don't support your agenda was only going to, you know, fuel the same bad behavior if people gave in to it. And a number of House Republicans did not. In fact, at every single instance when a vote was held on the House floor, Jim Jordan proceeded to receive fewer and fewer votes. (laughs) Of course, if there's any consolation for Jim, he did make history being the first person with a majority in the House to receive less than 200 votes, uh, nominating him for the speaker position in over 100 years. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back, you piece of shit. Though I personally find it insane that he's even getting a single vote, uh, given that just this morning he came out and denied the 2020 election. So, you know, it's very disappointing that the media won't put into context just how abhorrent Jim's behavior is and has been (laughs) while at the same time, you know, enjoying the horse race of Republicans holding a majority in the house, but continuing to fail to nominate a speaker. Oh, and apparently all of this is like the backdrop for internal squabbles where, you know, of course, Jordan is doing so bad uh, that his coworkers conspired to like stagger their no votes so that each time a vote was held, he would get more and more no votes, just showing him, uh, you know, his chances of actually getting the job or Neil. So, yeah, live your life in such a way 
that your co- <laughs> that your co-workers inspire behind your back to make you look worse and worse every single day at your job. <laughs> and as fun as it is watching two-bit Trump take the L, uh, actual Trump is over here taking L's as well. Uh, he was in Judge Gorn's court today uh, where he received a very stern admonishment for his failure to remove um, a post about Judge Gorn's court clerk from his campaign website, uh, which would appear to be a flagrant fucking violation of the recent gag order that Judge Gorn issued earlier this month. So Trump wasn't in court today to get this tongue lashing, but of course his, his lawyer Chris Kyes uh, managed to apologize on Trump's behalf, saying it was unintentional. And, and Gorn said he would take that statement under advisement, but Trump's still responsible for whatever appears on his website. And I quote, I want to make it clear that Mr. Trump is responsible for the large machine, even if it is a large machine. Moreover, a defendant may not evade liability for violating a court order by assertion that the violation was a result of the actions of one or more of the defendant's employees or agents. In the current overheated climate, incendiary untruths can, and in some cases already have, led to serious physical harm and worse. Trump has received ample warning, and accordingly, issuing yet another warning is no longer appropriate. This court is way beyond the warning stage. And Gorn then proceeded to impose a $5,000 fine because it was a first-time violation and because Trump's attorneys insisted it was not intentional. Uh, saying, quote, make no mistake, future violations, whether intentional or unintentional, will subject the violator to far more severe sanctions, which may include, but are not limited to, steeper financial penalties, holding Donald Trump in contempt of court, and possibly, possibly, possibly imprisoning him. <laughs> English is difficult when it's your first language. <laughs> And obviously, Trump did get off a little light here, which I believe I've told you a number of times that when he does eventually violate the gag order because he can't help himself, you know, of course, uh, the last thing a judge is going to want to do is rush to pretrial detention uh, being the solution for the violation of the gag order. But Ingoron did note it specifically as a possible uh, recourse should Trump continue to violate the gag order. So, I mean, I guess anything is possible and should Trump continue to cross the line over and over, uh, maybe Ingoron will pull the trigger on pretrial detention. Although I just, I seriously doubt it's possible for him to do such a thing. Uh, just given the, the amount of public backlash he would face. And I know he's extraordinarily aware of that. And I know, I know, we all want every court in every jurisdiction and every judge to treat Trump like they would any other criminal defendant. But look, man, he's just not, he's not any other criminal defendant and they're not going to treat him like one. And this is, these are part of the consequences for Trump winning the 2016 election in the first place. It has insulated him from a number of consequences, and this is our fault for not doing a better job in getting Hillary Clinton elected in 2016. And when I say we, I definitely mean myself included. You know, at the time I didn't know what to do exactly. I live in a red state. I'm like a blue dot. Nothing I can do here. My vote. 
It's not going to determine the outcome of the presidential election. But hey, you know, I'm trying to figure out a way. Again, that's the purpose. One of the purposes of this podcast. But yeah, not only is Trump getting special treatment, he he knows that because of the position he once held, that he will continue to get special treatment. And like abuser, like an abuser, he will continue to take advantage of it every step. Yet and still, in the long run, I do not believe this will protect him from prison. He is continually seeing the consequences mount and mount and mount. And next on the list is him losing a significant portion of his financial assets uh, thanks to this trial in New York where the Trump organization is being proven by one witness after another to be an organization that engages in nothing but fraudulent criminal activity. But as I said, that is just the next item on the agenda as Trump is facing criminal legal peril in a number of other jurisdictions and things just got a lot more harrowing down there in Georgia with his RICO trial as two of his criminal co-defendants, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheeseborough, pleading guilty and agreeing to cooperate with Fonnie Willis's investigation and agreeing to testify at any upcoming criminal proceedings. So as for Powell, she pled guilty to six misdemeanors, which will lead uh, to what appears to be no more than six years of probation with a $9,000 fine and um, agreeing to write an apology letter to the citizens of Georgia. Cheeseboro, on the other hand, pled guilty to a felony count of conspiracy to commit filing false documents. And he's also agreed to testify um, in his agreement. It also includes five years of probation, a $5,000 fine, 100 hours of community service, and he's agreed to turn over a number of documents and other evidence as well, indicating that there may be some emails or text messages that aren't in the hands of prosecutors that could be potentially incriminating of other co-conspirators. So rewinding back to Sidney Powell for a second, who pled guilty yesterday uh, as the jury selection was supposed to take place today, so she got it in uh, just at the last moment possible. She's admitting to prosecutors her role in the January 2021 breach of the election systems in Coffee County, Georgia. She's the one who used the help of like some local GOP officials to break into the uh, county election system and copy the data, hoping to find like some kind of evidence that the 2020 election was rigged even though it clearly wasn't and the evidence uh, that they stole would also point to that fact. And I do believe this was the same evidence that uh, was, was it Mike Lindell trying to hold that symposium uh, with this information and saying that anyone that can prove that, that it isn't evidence that the 2020 election was stolen will get like millions of dollars. And then he proceeded to, lose millions of dollars because someone because <laughs> the guy uh, proved that it did in fact show that Trump lost in Georgia in 2020 and then took him to court for it so yay that guy but anyway that's very important because this implicates like one spoke on the conspiracy that I, you know I don't know how much information prosecutors might be privy to as it pertains to the the breaking into the election systems 
So having Pal cooperate is huge because she understands every insight into that aspect of the conspiracy, as well as like what the agreement was between all the major players. Like she was even there for the December 18th meeting that went absolutely bonkers, um, you know, with Rudy Giuliani, Mike Flynn, Patrick Byrne, all those um, fucktards. Right. So she's got a lot of valuable information to provide. And that might be part of the reason why her, you know, plea deal included no felonies and no jail time. She's going to be instrumental in helping shore up some aspects of the case. Fonnie Willis was going to present against the other co-conspirators. And given that Kenneth Cheesebro was going on trial next week, I'm absolutely sure he was aware of how damning her testimony possibly could have been and that is why earlier this morning cheese bro said fuck it the cheese will not stand alone he ain't taking no chances he gonna go ahead and cop out and take just guilty plea he in fact made it very clear that he did not want to go on trial with Sidney Powell as his co-defendant and that is absolutely understandable because she is batshit crazy um though on the other hand I assume upon hearing the news of Powell's cooperation agreement it's probably thinking not like that. Cheeseboro is super important to another spoke on the conspiracy wheel because he is one of the main architects, along with John Eastman, of the fake elector plot, which was employed in nearly every swing state and all of the swing states that Trump lost. So with his cooperation, he is likely to read out uh, the likes of John Eastman and if we can get John Eastman flip, of course, John Eastman was in close contact with one Jenny Thomas, uh, the wife of sitting Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And if we can get her, we can get Clarence Thomas. And if we can get Clarence, we can get our Supreme Court back. So, you know, fingers crossed that everything works out in a favorable way in regards to that. Uh, you know, the cooperation of these two also implicates a number of people who weren't indicted. For starters, I'm thinking Mike Flynn and Jenna Ellis. And of course, there's like always the long shot that Christina Bob was heavily involved in Trump's uh, attempt to overturn the 2020 election as, as one of his campaign lawyers. Like she could go down. <laughs> so there are potentially more indictments to come. You know, stay tuned to Pardon the Insurrection. We'll, we'll keep you updated on all that good shit. And with the way things are going down there in the Southern District of Florida, with Judge Cannon allowing Walt Nada to keep his fucking troll-ass lawyer, uh, Mr. Woodward, it's entirely possible that, you know, maybe Trump should have paid it up and got all these co-conspirators, uh, you know, Trump brand lawyers, so they wouldn't flip. Uh, opportunity missed. Sucks for him. Maybe having a Trump pack paid for a lawyer would have gave everyone some notice at the very least, because it appears as though, you know, Trump and the co-conspirators and their lawyers were all taken aback and surprised by the fact that Sidney Powell decided to flip yesterday. I don't know. These dudes didn't do the greatest job of conspiring when they were attempting to overturn the election. So, of course, they're not going to do a great job of conspiring to present a unified legal defense. 
I mean, you can only expect so much from these guys, I guess. But yeah, that's that was absolutely fucking bonkers. I was absolutely looking forward to seeing that criminal trial take place of both Powell and Cheesebro next week. I'm, you know, very much disappointed that we won't get to have that blasting across the airways uh, because Georgia is one of those states where unlike federal court, criminal trials are televised. That would have been fucking awesome. Uh, you know, but I mean, it's also a good thing for prosecutors. Of course, this trial was supposedly going to take a number of months to present. So that's resources that the office will be able to devote to crafting a trial strategy uh, for the other co-defendants, as well as like any pretrial motions and such. It just it frees up a lot of time and a lot of bandwidth for them to get other uh, work done that's just as important. Uh, and now that they have the cooperation of these two morons, um, they'll be able to present an even more uh, rock solid case against Trump and cronies. And I would say that a lot of people were saying that, hey, this is a lot of stuff. Fonnie Willis is throwing to the wall and just hoping some of it sticks. Seems like she's doing a lot here, overcomplicating the case and the trial. And I can't imagine what the trial strategy would be like trying to have all of these co-defendants on trial at the same time. And while I totally understand that, I one believe that she was absolutely prepared to go on trial right now. She was ready to take everybody down and she had to. But also, I believe that she understood that when you charge this many people in this kind of conspiracy with this amount of evidence, that a number of people, even if it like goes down to the last possible second, are going to decide to flip. And even though she charged 19 uh, criminal defendants, she wasn't expecting to end up trying 19 defendants and you know it of course is a gamble for a number of reasons but it totally appears to have paid off so kudos to her like this is one of the things that i think it's like an opportunity i think the jack smith's team missed out on so like they had the opportunity to charge a number of other co-conspirators you know in regards to like trump's trial in dc and there are pros and cons to that, right? Like if you only charge Trump, yes, you streamline everything. And of course, there's the time constraints of the fact that there is an election in 2024. And Trump believes that if he wins, he can shut down this investigation and he won't go to jail. And I'm sure, you know, Jack Smith is probably aware of that possibility as well. Uh, but what you miss out on when you do that is the possibility that you charge a number of people who are involved in the criminal conspiracy and as you get closer to that trial date, those people flip and they provide you with evidence that is unobtainable elsewhere that will help you shore up your case against the person at the top of the pyramid. Well, Finding Willis took that gamble and it paid off, at least so far. Uh, one of the other concerns that legal experts and, you know, our favorite Twitter uh, lawyers and whatnot had about... Uh, finding Willis's case is that having Cheeseboro and Powell um, exercise their right to a speedy trial, basically severing their case from Trump's, meaning that their trial would take place, you know, here this month in October and Trump and the rest of the co-conspirators wouldn't be going on trial until later in 2024. Like 
there was an opportunity for Fonnie Willis to present her case. And then Trump's lawyers would basically get a preview of whatever evidence they would be presenting in the Cheeseboro Powell case. So they could have the opportunity to mount what they think would be a presentable legal defense. And I do see like potential hangups in that scenario where you think like, oh, well, if you put out all your evidence, you know, before you even get to try Trump, like his lawyers are going to have a field day mounting legal defense. And like, I don't actually think that would have been the case. I think this actually would have been super bad for Trump for a couple of reasons. And I will detail them as such. Uh, Namely, one, I don't think Fonnie Willis is going to have to like she wasn't going to have to empty her clip to get cheese bro and pal. This was a massive fucking criminal conspiracy. Even with a month's presentation, there was probably some evidence that was like sure shot going to nail Trump to the wall that she wouldn't have to use to get these two convicted by a jury. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure of it. Right. Cause if you think about it, like you set Trump's team up to make one defense based on the evidence that you presented at this trial, you know, I'm sure evidence has possibly been made through discovery made available through discovery, but like you don't show that at trial. So, you know, Trump's lawyers are going to be thinking like, Oh, she's going to put on this one case. And then you show up to court Trump's trial in 2024. And then you break out the big guns and boom, whatever legal defense Trump's team is going to mount is destroyed anyway. Also like the other huge missed opportunity. I think we've lost out on by not having this cheeseboro pal trial is that Willis was going to present all this evidence that made Trump look like a fucking criminal for months on end. And Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheesebro, their lawyers probably weren't going to rebut shit. Like, in fact, I, I think one of their main defenses would be like, hey, we were just following orders. All this criminal shit, that was Trump's idea. They were, I, I assumed that they were going to throw Trump under the bus. And then Trump's lawyers wouldn't be there to rebut it. So you'd have like a five-month nonstop TV drama of Trump being trashed in court and looking guilty as fuck with no one to defend him. <laughs> it would have been absolutely fucking glorious. But, you know, like I said, double-edged sword here pros and cons to to holding that trial and you know i in the like grand scheme of things i'd say this is absolutely great news for finding willis in her case and her office down there huge win and trump should be worried he should absolutely be scared shitless and and scared shitless not just because powell and cheese bro are cooperating but what this signals to Trump's other code defendants is that it might be a raise down to finding Willis's office for whoever else decides that they want to cooperate because these deals where you don't get any present time, there's absolutely only a limited number of those. Not everybody is getting a deal that good. I guarantee you that. Meanwhile, in Biden world, well, Our president managed to make a successful trip 
into a fucking war zone Wednesday. He came back with an agreement to have humanitarian aid enter the Gaza Strip through Egypt, hopefully to get to the hands of the citizens and the civilians who needed most, as well as addressing the nation after his round trip flight from Israel in a speech that was absolutely fucking incredible, making it clear why we need to not only support Israel and their cause, but also we need to support our allies in Ukraine and like the nature of how dictators and terrorists behave and what it means when they are given a free pass to act with no regard for human lives and how it would only embolden them. And he also did a perfect job of explaining why not just Israeli citizens, but innocent Gazans, their lives need to be valued as well. And how Hamas is using them as a human shield and it's totally unacceptable. And that's not all. Thanks to his great work and that of his subordinates, Hamas also released two American hostages that had been in their custody since the attack two weeks ago. Like, thank fucking God President Biden is in office, because if this were Trump, it would be a total dumpster fire. So however you feel about Biden's response so far, like you got to give the man time to work his magic and show you what he can do because he's absolutely coming through. Because like I said last week, like there was no guarantee that we get any of those hostages back and like getting two is a massive fucking victory. You know, I think a number of people forgot that like we've got citizens involved in this as well. So America has a stake in this, too. And Biden understands that. And he's hard at work. You know, I was told he was too old to do this shit. Let's see your 80-year-old go into a fucking war zone and negotiate an aid package and bring two hostages back. And that concludes this episode of Pardon the Insurrection.